The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Patricia Raskin's Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of the host, guests, and callers. And now, here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to Patricia Raskin Positive Living, right here on Voice America, America's Voice. And I'm, I'm excited today to interview someone that uh, is making such a difference in sharing with us stories of people who have made a difference, uh, biographers, autobiographers. And today my guest is Thomas Mayer. He is an investigative reporter at Newsday and has been there for 30 years. He's written several books. The book we're talking about today that I'm so interested in is Masters of Sex. And it has been translated into a hit and Golden Globe-nominated Showtime series. Thomas Mayer is an investigative reporter and 30 years and counting with Newsday employee. And again, he released Masters of Sex, The Life and Times of William Masters and Virginia Johnson, the couple who taught America how to love. And that was in 2009. And he's the show producer. Welcome, Thomas. Thank you so much for for having me, Patricia. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, I, I'm excited about this. You know, I I saw the entire first series, and I guess they had just season one just completed, correct? That's right, and there'll be a, a second season coming this fall, I believe. Yeah, I was absolutely fascinated by this. And one of the things that fascinated me the most was to watch all of this very uh, interesting and clinical talk about sex in the 50s. And actually, if you change the costumes and you change the place and, and you had a more updated setting, this could have been 2014. Well, yeah, you know, in a way, uh, I think what the study that Masters and Johnson were doing 50 years ago would have difficulties being done today because... Um, they didn't have ethics, medical ethics yes. panels that would have to review uh, the use of volunteers in a study like this. You know, today, before you do any type of study like that, you have to go through these ethic panels. But Masters, he was a top doctor at Washington University. Essentially, all he needed was kind of the okay from the top person at Washington University, and, and he was off to the races. And you're right, and you're talking about you know people doing sexual uh, experimentation, so that they he was getting couples to come in and have sex openly, and then they would put monitors on these people to be able to uh, evaluate and record their responses for his research. 
Yeah, it really is amazing. But bear in mind, uh, Dr. William Masters was an OBGYN at Washington University who had really prepared for this moment his whole life. He saw that if he could develop a study that essentially documented how the human body responded during uh, sex, during sex, that he would essentially be in line for a Nobel Prize mm. in medicine. He felt strongly that medicine should be involved in the whole discussion about sex, much more so than, say, uh, say Freudian-trained psychoanalysts or priests or rabbis or ministers or any of the other more traditional places where people would go when they needed answers. Um, he felt strongly that a lot of doctors get, are asked questions by couples who are having various different difficulties in the bedroom, and he felt that medicine should be prepared with those answers. And yet yes. they were not doing that. And he was resolved that his study would be a major step forward in terms of providing the answers for medicine. And one of the things that he came up with, and, and I'm reading this in a very clinical way because this is how it was written, is that they dismissed the wide step concept that ejaculation, whether accomplished through masturbation or coition, is detrimental to the physical condition of men, athletes, and training programs because many times they thought it was. They also noted that men with larger penises are not necessarily more effective lovers. And that's something that they noticed, they noted clinically. They did. They noted a lot more things than just those, too. Uh, they essentially underlined, <clears throat> excuse me, that um, about the power, fundamentally, of female sexuality. That, in other words, women were capable of multiple orgasms in a way that men essentially would have one during a sexual encounter. Um, that was something that essentially turned things upside down in the traditional view about human sexuality. You know, people thought that male was, men were the uh, stronger sex and women were the weaker sex. And their clinical findings actually showed, uh, suggested just the opposite, that women uh, had a greater capacity for sex. Um, and well, this and was case, something that was quite revolutionary in its time. Absolutely, because then it gives women permission in a way. You know, it's, it's okay, women, where women were supposed to have more of a, of a role where sex was a duty, don't you think? And not so much part of... Um, uh, being out there and expressing it. Well, yes, yeah, certainly in the culture it was in the 50s. Um, you know, one of the things about being a biographer is that you not only get to tell the public lives of people, but you also get to tell and delve into the personal lives of, of, of the people that you're writing about. So um, the life of Virginia Johnson was very interesting counterpoint to its times, because she was much more independent-minded about sex and love and the distinction between the two. Um, and uh, she would say that she played the game of a good girl, but she made her own choices uh, in her private life. Um, and so uh, she was, I guess, unique in her ability to be honest about it, but, um, you know, independent-minded about it. But she... She also indicated to me that um, there were a lot of other women who felt the same way that she did and acted in the same way, just without the same willingness to be so candid. 
candid meaning about her sexuality and her sexual drive? Yeah, exactly. That you know, um, uh, I think one of the things that was interesting to me was that Virginia. Um, as we see both in the TV series and in my book, the real-life Virginia that's portrayed in my book, um, didn't necessarily always think that love had to be associated with sex. Um, And that, you know, there are different uh, expressions sexually that women can have during the course of their life. um, and And that that was all right. And that that was part of uh, the whole maturation process, but it's also part of living itself, at least, you know, the way she defined her life. And I think that's something that uh, hits a chord with a lot of young women today. Yeah, I was going to mention that. necessarily want to be told uh, how to live their life uh, by any outside force, but rather, uh, you know, by their own conscience and by their yeah. own uh, it, it, desires. Yeah, I want to bring something up about that because I, I talk to a lot of young women. I have a radio show called Positive Dating, and we talk about this. And a lot of young people today have this whole concept, Tom, of friends with benefits, which is, you know, it's a friend, but there's not a relationship. They enjoy each other sexually. And although that can work, you know, when I speak to a lot of experts, clinical experts about this, here's what they say. And I'd love your comment on this, you know, based on Masters and Johnson. They say that the woman gets more attached to the man through sex because we have the oxytocin, which is kind of like serotonin, and it's it's in our brain and it's an addictive substance. And more of that is released in the female brain than the male brain. So when the woman is intimate with the man, she's getting more attached, which is why many times, although women will say, oh, it's just a friend with benefits, they start getting attached emotionally to the man through sex, less so for the man with the woman. What do you think? Well, first of all, I think the medical findings are fascinating. Um, And, you know, what's interesting is that despite the fact that Masters and Johnson 50 years ago tried to drag uh, medicine kicking and screaming into the realm of the discussion about human sexuality, that nevertheless, unfortunately, it's been rather slow in understanding things. So, you know, there have been a number of different theories about uh, hormones, about genetics, about the impact of uh, culture uh, on people's behavior. Um, I think speaking about today's situation, what's interesting, uh, comparing it to, say, 50, 60 years ago when Masters and Johnson were beginning, I think back then, I think there was, uh, there was a lot of discussion about romantic love and love in the mm-hmm. culture itself. Um, it, was a, it was a very male-dominated culture on one level, but on a, in another level, it kind of treated women in a kind of a uh, pristine, somewhat uh, idealized, romantic version. Certainly, there was a much more depiction in the music and, and in film about a romantic view of love. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet there was a great deal of ignorance about sexuality. And that's why I think so many people found Masters and Johnson an important source of information. But today, I think it's almost reflected around the opposite. I think we live in a culture that's absolutely saturated in sexual imagery. We use sex to sell everything from, you know, uh, uh, there's tons of TV ads that are filled with sexuality. 
Um, we have the Internet that's filled with it. And yet the discussion about love is something that uh, particularly young people, I think at times, feel inarticulate about. So when you talk about friends with benefits and such, um, I think it's a very interesting phenomena, but I also think it underlies um, something about the elusiveness of love, which is uh, something that I think goes way back, goes you know, hundreds of years. It's part of the whole human story. Um, certainly it was a big part of Masters and Johnson's public work, the examination of sex and love and the, co- the connections between the well, two. Yeah, but I also I, think uh, it was a big part of their personal story as yeah, well. And I was going to ask you that because I think their personal story is very, very interesting. And, you know, a, a, another thing I want to bring out, because when you when you look at when you watch the series and you watch some of the players in the series and I actually there's actually an element to me of sexual addiction which today there were so many 12-step groups around sexual addiction. I mean, yes, we're putting the, the geodes and we're putting the, you know, the things on different people to be able to test them clinically and functionally. But it goes beyond that, Tom, because people do get attached and then they keep wanting more and more and more of it. So speak to that part of it. Yeah, you know, it's hard for me to say one way or the other, even in, in, in regards to the volunteers in the study itself. Yeah. Is, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I think that Masters, I know Masters said uh, in their books that they tried to screen out people who they felt either were exhibitionists or people who were uh, beyond the norm of, of ordinary people. Now, that might but that still might not have been the case. But they did have about 800 people overall in their study. Uh, so they had a pretty wide range of ages and backgrounds. And such. Yes. Um, and so it's hard to say if any of them were addicted or whatever. Um, they did try to do their best to screen out people who they felt might be uh, aberrant or, you know, beyond the norm yeah, uh, yeah. for purposes of their study. And they did have some prostitutes, too, in the beginning, right? Oh, they, they quite a bit, actually. The, the, at the very first year or two, uh, Masters um, was trying to rely on, on prostitutes because uh, going it alone initially, he, he realized that uh, this was probably the only female population that would be willing to be uh, observed and studied the way that he planned to. It was uh, his realization, though, that the uh, particular uh, peculiarities of prostitutes' experiences and the impact on their bodies and such uh, did not lend itself to uh, a valid conclusions about the sexual response of everyday women. So yeah. he was kind of stuck there for a while. He, he didn't really feel he could go any further. He, need, he, need, he realized that he needed a female partner. And, and had- there, were very, there were very few female doctors at that time. His yeah. wife didn't want to do it. And uh, along came Virginia Johnson, a woman 32 years of age, twice divorced, who literally was going back to college after her second with her second divorce, trying to get a degree, and got a job at the medical school filling out insurance forms. And she somehow wound up becoming his 
research partner. Uh, she showed the, a remarkable talent for the work, and she's the one who convinced so many women and men to be part of their study. Yeah, I really want you to talk about their relationship next, because I think their relationship is a book unto itself. I mean, they're, they're, it started out as a very clinical relationship, but then they started having feelings for each other. And I know the first, the series ends, right? The series ends, the first segment of the series, before season two ends, where he is saying to her, Masters is saying to Virginia Johnson, I love you. And she's in shock. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're at, we're at that point. But speak to their relationship because it was very unusual. And I, I, I'm questioning, was it really love? Was it lust? Was it both? Uh, and you, you interviewed Virginia Johnson, so you oh, knew yeah. her. And you oh, did yeah. not interview him, correct? Well, actually, I interviewed him uh, 20 years ago. Uh, which is the way the book started. I interviewed him one day uh, as an assignment at Newsday, the newspaper where I work. Um, I was writing a book about Dr. Spock, the baby doctor at the time. Then I did a book about the Kennedys. And when I was finished that book, I, you know, sometimes you have ideas that kind of linger with you. And this was something that, you know, kept, uh, you know, kept, uh, uh, kept me thinking about the idea of a, a man and woman studying love and sex who become this world-famous couple, then get divorced after 20 years, and nobody knows why. And as you pointed out, that's a book in, a, in and of itself. And, so talk uh, one, about their relationship, Tom. Were they in love? Were they in lust? Talk about their relationship and the dynamic there and what we can learn from that, because it was fast, it's fascinating. Well, the thing that really... Uh, uh, I think was really interesting about Masters and Johnson was that they were a man and woman working together as well. Initially, their relationship was very unequal, as people who have seen the series and uh, those who would read my book would see, is that Masters, very early on in their working relationship, suggested that having sex with him, that, that he suggested to Virginia that she have sex with him as a way of kind of... Um, avoiding what Freud called transference, that in other words, they were observing all of this sex uh, as part of their study, and that rather than have that, that kinetic sexual energy build up in themselves, that it would be best channeled among themselves, which was, of course, uh, would be defined as sexual harassment in today's workplace, yes. to have your boss essentially saying that uh, part of the job description was to be have be uh, having sex with him. Um, mm. It was a very, very, uh, that from that very unfair and very uneven relationship, the Masters and Johnson relationship uh, eventually became more and more equal. Um, uh, there are people who would suggest, and I tend to agree with them, that Masters' willingness to give Virginia Johnson equal credit on their work was perhaps his greatest expression of love towards her because yeah. there's so very few doctors that would give an un, untrained uh, person credit on a book as, you know, as it was a bestseller. Um, so it, it was something that, on one level, Virginia Johnson very much deserved to have her insights into their work really made uh, their success possible. And yet, on the other hand, um, you know, I, I think 
the fact that he was willing to share credit, that he was willing to make him, make her his partner, uh, was indeed his way of expressing love. Mm. They Do both you think had, she really they, loved they, him? They both had a lot of difficulty expressing love for one yes. another, um, and yet they were fascinated always with each other Do for more than years. Do you think she loved years. him? I'm sorry? Do you think she loved him? Well, you know, when I interviewed Virginia Johnson, it, um, Bill had died. Um, it, it did not end well between them. Uh, they had divorced. I think there was a, a, a fair degree of bitterness about what had happened uh, between them. Uh, that I, as a biographer, I had to somewhat filter out. I certainly acknowledge it and put it into the book. But, um, you know, she did love him. In, in, in she, uh, interestingly enough, there's an afterword in my book that, that our book has been reissued with uh, the Showtime actors on the cover, and there's a new afterword. And in the afterword, she finally kind of uh, fesses up, if you will, and says, you know, I guess I really did love Bill. It was mm-hmm. only after reading the book that we had these conversations after my book was published in 2009 that she kind of uh, realized that, yeah, I guess I really did love uh, Bill. And it was something that um, I think it was, uh, you know, she was a very proud, independent-minded woman. Um, Bill had done a lot of awful things between them, but, but they had also enjoyed some great things, tremendous things, yes, the type yeah. of things that most people on this planet would have no idea about. And the fact that they were a man and woman being equal partners for the greater part of their relationship is what's particularly unique. And I think it really time. speaks to time, today's Tom. couples. Right. At that time, I think that that's interesting. Yeah, you know, oh, today, today you would find equal partners. Of course, you'd, as you said, you'd be dealing with sexual harassment today. You'd be dealing with a lot more legality in terms of how they could do the study. But, um, you know, at that time, that was uh, uh, unusual to have such an equal partnership is what you're saying. Oh, definitely. definitely. Yeah. But let me ask you, you know, as a biographer, you know, when you go back and you look at this, what do you think are the... Um, what are the takeaways for listeners in terms of positives, maybe things they should watch out for? What, what's the great lesson here about sex and about love and about this study? And what, what do you think? I mean, well, you were- uh, there's a lot of things. Um, I, my book is really a reflection on exactly that point. What is this thing called love? It actually, it starts with that quote from the old Cole Porter song, What is this thing called love? They literally tried to figure it out clinically in a lab, but they spent their whole lives trying to figure it out between themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the takeaway for people today is that um, for all of the clinical answers, the biological answers that we may have about sexuality, you know, a lot of the mystery, a lot of the, uh, the allure, a lot of the dynamic between men and women is still something that we are clueless about. Uh, it, I think any success with love requires a great deal of respect and understanding. 
ultimately it's self-sacrifice, that you give yourself over to another person if you're truly in love uh, in many respects. And I think that's something that in a world where we are constantly asking about what does it mean for me, uh, that's a very hard thing for people to do. I think people are much more comfortable today watching sexuality on the Internet than well, they may I, be in expressing their feelings. And, that's and I what think I'm, that's something that, uh, I think that's why this book, in a way, and the show is somewhat hitting a chord with a lot of people because uh, I think that's something uh, that needs to be discussed in today's I, environment. I really like what you just said. Yeah, I want to I add to that because that's what I think I was getting when I was watching it. I was watching two people who really couldn't quite express, but they would express it sexually, but they were almost playing games with each other emotionally. And I'm watching this and I'm saying, wow, this is so current because this is what people do. And I think, I do think that there is a confusion sometimes between sex and love. That's why a lot of the experts I'll interview, Tom, on my show, on my positive dating show, will say people should not have sex until they are in a committed relationship because it makes things uneven. Often women get confused. We get confused about what's happening. And so I'd I'd love your comment on that, but I've gotten that from four or five dating experts that say, if you want a committed relationship, do not have sex right away because it just, again, between the oxytocin and you getting too involved immediately, you're not clear enough. What do you think? Well, (laughs) it's it's hard for me to say. I've been married for 30 years. Um, and I, I very fortunately met my wife very relatively young in life. I met her in college, and so, uh, you know, I'm not aware of what's going on. I can't give you a firsthand uh, account of what's going on in the dating world. I do have three sons in their early 20s, and to the extent that I'm able to derive what's going on out there, um, I do think uh, that there is, uh, you know, a real hunger for meaning in relationships Mm -hmm. and uh you know we could text things and we can send all these various different technological ways of communicating but yet do we touch one another's heart um and i think the whole masters and johnson story which is kind of on one level dressed up in the in the realm of a lab of a science experiment let us try to be very antiseptic and understanding uh-huh. sexuality. What happens is that both Masters and Johnson and everybody in their world winds up realizing that the answers are a lot more complicated, mm-hmm. that they are connected to feelings, deep, very deep feelings uh, about one another and also about self-identity. Sex, a big part of it is, is this, our self-identity as well, um, who and what we are. And um, so, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, there's that paradox of Masters and Johnson of uh, trying of sex and love. And what are the, what are the, the, uh, the connections between the two? I think well, despite, I, I think there are a lot more than we realize. Yeah. I, I, what would you say in closing, what would you say, Tom, would be their greatest contribution? If we stamp back now and look at society, what was their greatest contribution to science, to sex, sure. 
Yeah, I, I think without a doubt, their biggest uh, contribution was bringing medicine into the discussion about human sexuality. You know, we have heard about Alfred Kinsey. Essentially, though, Kinsey was not a doctor. He was doing a survey about people's uh, feelings and, and attitudes about sexuality. But, of course, people lie. So uh, surveys like that were not the same as observing exactly what happens and clinically documenting it. Uh, the fact that they were able to do so and then come up with another book that essentially created the modern sex clinics, they came up with therapies that helped uh, thousands of people, uh, tens of thousands of couples, uh, to express themselves when they were having difficulty, uh, profound difficulties. That was really one of their great, that really was their great contribution. They brought medicine into the whole discussion. And the, the era that we live in today where even pharmaceutical companies are providing answers and a whole other different aspects of science and, and medicine are, are in the discussion about sex, uh, they were the ones who really brought it forth. They were the pioneers, and that was their great contribution. Yeah, it's wonderful. Tell us about the series and what's happening. You are a producer on this series. Tell us about the first season ended um, in the summertime, correct? When did the first season end? So the, it ended in December. It began September 29th, and it ran through uh, the middle of December. I believe it was December 15th. Uh, they are in the process of writing season two. It's been renewed um, and it should be appearing, as I understand it, sometime this fall. It hasn't been announced yet, but I, I think by the time this airs, there will be a, a formal date for it. Uh, and they will be starting to film the episodes uh, in the middle of March. So, uh, you know, fans of the show should look forward to it. Uh, I think it's, I can tell you that the story only becomes better and better as it goes along. It becomes much more complicated, and there's a lot of surprises, and... Uh, uh, the response from people have been just, it's just been terrific. Oh, it's been one. Now, this is on Showtime, correct? This is on Showtime. It is. It's on Showtime, and um, it stars uh, uh, Michael Sheen, who was uh, nominated for the Golden Globe as Best Actor, and yeah. actress uh, Lizzie Kaplan, who plays Virginia Johnson in the show. I'm yeah. a producer of the show, but the uh, person who is the showrunner, who's the head writer and an executive producer, is Michelle uh, Ashford, and uh, the other executive producer is Sarah Timberman, and they're kind of the two masterminds of the show, and they've done a wonderful job of uh, taking my book and adapting it to television. And, and it is from your book. So, I mean, all of these things are from your book. I mean, the, the, the series is definitely taken from the, your copy. Well, it is. You know, they use my book as like a template for it. Bear in mind, the show is a drama, which is by definition fiction. And they have added some characters, changed some of the chronology and such. My book is kind of the template, kind of the overall uh, long arc <clears throat> of telling the stories. I think it's particularly true and very careful to detail about both the studies that, uh, that they were doing and uh, particularly about the relationship between Masters and Johnson. I think mm -hmm. the tone of the show very much reflects my book. And yet I think people will be uh, surprised when they read my book and compare it with the show. There are differences and such. And uh, I just think one uh, 
feeds on the other, and I think it kind of enhances it. I think the, the TV show has really brought a whole new audience to my book, and it's been a lot of fun to kind of rethink things as we go along. This has been a wonderful, enlightening interview with you, Tom, and I, I really appreciate you being on the program. Well, I really am delighted to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. I have just been interviewing Thomas Mayer, and he is the author of Masters of Sex. The book has been translated into a hit and Golden Globe-nominated Showtime series. Uh, Thomas Mayer is an investigative reporter and 30 years and counting Newsday employee, and he released Masters of Sex, The Life and Times of William Masters and Virginia Johnson, The Couple Who Taught America How to Love. He did that in 2009. He's one of the show producers. Folks, um, so glad you're listening. Uh, check out on Showtime for Masters of Sex. It should be coming out in the fall for their second season. You've been listening to Patricia Raskin, Positive Living. And I'm Patricia Raskin. Remember, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Until next time, I'm Patricia Raskin. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Patricia Raskin's Positive Living. Be sure to join Patricia Raskin and another amazing guest next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an outstanding week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.